in elder financial exploitation, a lot of people want to talk about the scams. And the scams are very important. They are high dollar losses. However, if you really look at the industry, it's only 10% of the actual elder financial exploitation. The other 90% are the trusted abusers, people that know as their family, their caregivers, you know, everybody that is around them on a normal basis. Introducing The Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. Hello, everybody. It's Mike Carroll joining you from the IFCI Training Conference at the Great Sheridan Grand Hotel here in Chicago. Yes, welcome to our podcast, IFCI Presents The Protectors. Along with me today is my co-host, Mark Solomon. Mark, how you doing today? I'm uh, doing great, man. Having a good time in Chi-Town. Mark, we got another special guest. Thanks, Mike. And yeah, we have our friend April uh, DeVolcan here. She is a paralegal in the White Collar Crime Unit at the District Attorney's Office in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And uh, she's also our Wisconsin chapter president. So April, welcome to the show, uh, The Protectors, and we appreciate you being here today. Thanks, Mark. So April, tell us a little bit about your position in the District Attorney's Office and what type of crimes are you seeing on a regular basis? We see all felony financial crimes. And that encompasses a wide variety of things. We handle embezzlements, theft by contractors, just so much um, that goes into our unit. And so we have a lot of elder financial exploitation right now, especially because of the pandemic. And those that are coming out of the pandemic are finally being recognized by Adult Protective Services and seeing those different aspects. So our office is really overwhelmed with those currently, but we also handle everything felony financial. Typically our caseload is about $100,000 or more in theft. April, I know you're doing a presentation this week at our conference, but what, what I remember uh, uh, highly is uh, last year when we did a presentation on caretaker fraud. That was an outstanding presentation. People, a lot of people don't think of that. Mm -hmm. Do you see a lot of that? We see a ton of it. So in elder financial exploitation, a lot of people want to talk about the scams. And the scams are very important. They are high dollar losses. However, if you really look at the industry, it's only 10% of the actual elder financial exploitation. The other 90% are the trusted abusers, people that know as their family, their caregivers, you know, everybody that is around them on a normal basis. And that's really where we need to focus. You know, April, we can make this an hour show, but is there anything you can offer to those who parents, you know, the elderly, how they could keep an eye on their parents, you know, all their financial records and everything? Is there something that uh, citizens can do to keep an eye on their parents, make sure that they don't get any fraud or abuse happens to them? There's nothing that can prevent it. However, there's a lot of things you can help to reduce the risk. And so one of the first things, first and foremost, is a lot of older adults are isolated and not everybody thinks of that in the same fashion, but you know, who calls their parent every day? Five minutes, five minutes a day will help that isolation and help the scams. Because if you get something in the mail, that's a Jamaican lottery or it's, you know, whatever, some type of new charity, you can say, Hey mom, you know, I got this thing in the mail. I, I already looked into it. It's scam. Did you get one too? Cause if you did just throw it away, you know, we've already taken care of that. So that's a, a, a good starting point. But the other piece of it is making sure that you're having conversations with those older adults, your parents, your aunts and uncles, whomever, 
before they need the assistance. And I know that they're difficult conversations, but they need to be had. And they need to be had while everybody still has the capacity to make decisions. That's really the important factor. Because if you already have a plan in place, you can reduce the risk and eliminate some of that hesitation of the older adult who doesn't want to let them in once there's already a problem. April, when it comes to elder financial exploitation, we immediately think of the financial impact that it has on our victims. But can you talk about some of the collateral uh, consequences of this crime to the senior? A lot of the seniors actually start out with that initial embarrassment. And once they've gotten through that, they actually start to shame themselves. And so it really becomes a concern and an issue because they then isolate themselves even more, where they could potentially become victim to even more scammers or other family members. We've seen that in some cases where a victim is actually victimized by one family member, and then because they won't talk about it and they won't report it, they're now being victimized by another family member. Yeah. So we really have to be cautious with that. We do also want to make sure that people are aware of that it's not just financial. Sometimes it's property. We've seen deeds change hands inappropriately in trying to get those things back into the, the hands of the rightful owner being our victim. April, go back to something you said earlier about, you know, contacting your parents at least once a day or, or your aunts or uncles. And that's a great point because these fraudsters got all day, right? They're calling them nine, 10 times a day, you know, absolutely, and, 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 and making them aware, you know, calling your parents and letting them see what's going on and things like that. Also, can you talk about like, we always tell like law enforcement, if there's an incident where an elder person is involved in financial fraud, not to have them come to your police department, you want to go out to their house and interview them. And why would that be? You absolutely want to go to the victim's residence because a lot of older adults are old school. So when they take phone calls, they write down names, they write down phone numbers, they write down all of this information that you're never going to get. They're not going to bring that to right. the police department. So you're going to be able to see that in plain view when you're walking in. The other piece is, is that when law enforcement or adult protective services are coming in, they can also see the piles of mail stacked up, which could be from multiple scammers or the same scammer just sending out multiple packages. Good point. Good point. So April, you know, I want to talk a little bit about restitution when it comes to victims uh, of elder financial exploitation. You know, for you and I, if we were defrauded today, you know, we have the ability to make that money back. Uh, you know, we're, we're employed, we're working, it would be significant, but we'd be able to recover a lot quicker. When it comes to your seniors, you know, this is money that they have set aside to be able to survive and losing that money, it's got to have a huge consequence. So how does a prosecutor's office look at trying to recover some of the losses that were sustained? Mark, that's a great question. And really it's multifaceted. When we are looking at restitution from a prosecutorial standpoint, we have to take into account where are they financially? Is this a devastating factor or is it not? You know, if this is something that's going to potentially put our victim on state aid of some sort or federal aid because they cannot make up that difference, that's huge. You know, and so we have to take that into consideration when charging as well, because sometimes these victims have actually had to go on to state aid immediately before we've even charged. So not only now do we have our victim who was the original victim of the financial crime, but we also have the victim of the state or an agency that's providing benefits. And so we do try to order those as part of restitution as well, or get those ordered by the court. However, it's highly unlikely that these people are gonna see any of that money back. Because even if it's ordered by the court, if these people go to, to prison, if they get incarcerated, obviously they don't have any money that they're gonna be paying in. So a lot of times that's the other caveat, is that if they go to prison, they're not gonna be paying. So 
although our victims want to see justice, sometimes and a lot of times, the courts will actually put them on probation so that they have time to make up the money in order to repay the victim because that's what the victim needs is the money, even though they really want to see the justice. And what are some of the warning signs? Uh, let's say I have an older family member that, and I'm concerned. You know, what are some of the things that might indicate that they're being victimized? Maybe they're not as social as they were previously. Maybe they have mobility issues and can't get out as often. And so they are finding new friends online. A lot of older adults like the word games, word searches and that online. And romance scammers are really targeting them on those game sites that they're on. And so if you know your parents or whomever are noticing you're online more, that can be an issue too. So there's, there's a couple of different things there, but um, that's just one of the red flags. The other one is obviously, are they making more charity donations? Even $20 at a time. If they're sending out $20 a week and now they're doing it three times a week. And I heard too, like if you know they normally don't use credit cards and all of a sudden they're applying for a whole bunch of credit cards or adding people onto their accounts, uh, are those some warning signs too? Absolutely. And truthfully, hopefully you've already worked with your financial institutions or the financial institutions of the potential victim in that you're being notified as someone from outside to be able to come in. They, they call it a trusted individual that can actually be added to accounts now by some financial institutions. So hopefully the financial institutions contacting you if they're being added to an account. But that brings up another point is that you have to remember that if an older adult comes to you and says, you know, I'm trying to balance my checkbook and I'm not getting my statement. Don't wait three months to take them to the bank and find out why. I've had two cases where a 93-year-old victim found the fraud because they couldn't balance their checkbook, but their kids didn't believe them and so didn't go into the bank for a number of months to find that fraud and find out that their caregiver had actually gone in and signed up for online banking when mom doesn't own a computer. Right. April, can I ask you about one more scam, the lottery? Okay. So people fall for this lottery and the first question you ask them, did you ever play the lottery? No. Then why would you be a winner if you never played it? And the second thing is, you win a million dollars, but you have to pay the taxes. Well, the simple question is, well, why don't you just take the taxes out of the winnings? You know, it seems simple, but wh why would you think that people fall for it? I, my opinion is somewhat that they want to take care of their family members, and maybe they don't have a lot of money, and they want to win that big lottery so they can take care of their kids, or they might have a sick spouse or another family member, and they think these winnings can help them pay for any medical bills or things like that. But what, what's your opinion on that? Mike, it's a couple of things. So a lot of older adults, they actually they fill out everything from publisher's clearinghouse to anything that comes in the mail. You might win a cooler, you might win $5,000 or whatever. They sign up for everything. So whether or not they played the lottery is not necessarily a great question because they don't really remember because of all the different things that they've signed up for. When it comes to the taxes, what do older adults think of? Death and taxes. Those are two absolutes you have to deal with, correct? So if someone is saying you have to pay the taxes on it, they know they have to pay the taxes on it. So that's what they think they have to do. And so that's, that's where that aspect comes in. And they don't realize that they can even, first of all, ask to have the taxes taken out. And they don't realize that if they are in the United States, foreign lotteries are illegal. So some of that is just an educational standpoint. And, and April, how important is it to have conversations with your uh, elder family members, you know, to, to talk about the recent fraud trends and things that are going on? I read somewhere that, you know, if they receive just a little bit of education, it really decreases the chances of them actually becoming a victim. It is incredibly important. 
I, I don't know the stats specifically, but what I've been told or heard is that if you actually talk to someone about recent current scams, that older adult will talk to many different people and it actually reduces by about 40% just because their word of mouth in if they're living either in an assisted living or if they're living in a 55 and older community, just that one simple conversation that you have with your parent or aunt, uncle, whomever, they're going to share that because they trust you, they love you, they believe what you're telling them. So if it's something they haven't seen, they're gonna talk about it. And that's how the older generations really communicate. So I know tomorrow we actually have a presentation on elder prosecutions. What I think one of the key things is sometimes we could, you know, whether you're an investigator or you're a prosecutor, you could look at these cases and, and sort of take a negative view at it and say, you know, this is maybe just a family situation. It isn't a crime or the victim is, is elder and maybe has diminished uh, capacities. So, you know, sometimes you could feel like, wow, this isn't a great case to prosecute. But hopefully, you know, obviously I know you don't feel that way in your office, but how do you overcome some of those issues uh, to make sure that you protect the victim and you get justice for that victim? Mark, what we do is we actually reach out to our networks and to our relationships that we've gained over the years in collaborating with these types of prosecutions specifically. So if we know that we're going to go into a situation where our victim may not be able to testify within their own case as a victim or as a witness in that trial or that motion that we need them for, we rely on our partnerships. So we rely on our financial institutions to potentially come in with an affidavit of forgery that the, our victim has signed previously. And we use that business document as evidence if our victim cannot testify for themselves. And so that's where we really reach out to our relationships and our networks that we've built through organizations like the IAFCI to collaborate to get successful convictions on these types of cases. Hey, April, Monday, the Postal Inspection Service did a presentation on money mules. And unfortunately, right, a lot of elderly lose all their monies, and then the fraudsters turn them into money mules where other victims send them money, and then they wire it out somewhere else. Do you see a lot of that? We have seen that. And it's actually a lot more than I had ever anticipated. Mm -hmm. And the reason we're seeing it now is in Wisconsin, we just recently passed a new money laundering legislation, so we can charge it at a state level now. And... Now that we're looking for it more, we're finding a lot more of it. Not that it's happening anymore or less, it's just now we can actually see that transition. I saw uh, some stunning statistics the other day and it said that only one in 23 victims of elder abuse report that uh, abuse to somebody else and that only one in 44 ever report financial elder abuse. So how can we encourage these victims to come forward? Uh, and report this because it needs to be reported. It needs to be investigated and, and there needs to be justice. Mark, I would absolutely agree with you. And to add a piece of that stunning statistic to you is actually in Wisconsin last year alone. And so in 2020, there was over $30 million of reported elder financial exploitation. So if you think about that number, that's one in 44 that was reported is 30 million wow. or just over 30 million. Wow. So to answer your second question, Mark, first of all, the victims need to realize that they are not the only one, that there are millions of other victims out there. And so they need to realize that, the, first of all, there's support out there. There are resources out there. A lot of people don't realize that there's an adult protective services in just about every county of every state 
just like there's a child protective services. Most people don't realize that. The other piece is they may not realize that there are resources out there through aging and disability resources centers or the Department of Aging, and they will provide them different options if they feel that they may have been a victim. Even if they've not been a victim, they can find out if it's a current scam through those agencies. And those are all at your county Department of Health and Human Services. So that's a great resource that people can be reaching out to. April, before we go, is there anything you want to share with our audience? I'd like them to know that there are resources out there to assist them in whatever aspect of elder financial exploitation they're dealing with, whether it's a financial institution that needs training, whether it's a prosecutor's office that needs assistance in what the laws are for elder financial exploitation, or if it's a victim who's looking for resources at their local adult protective services agency. So they can go to different organizations like myself, my, I Fortress Financial Education, you can go to www.protectyourfortress.com. You can go to the Elder Justice Initiative, which is www.justice.gov, and reach out on those organizations and find out what is available in their areas. April, that is great information. So what we're going to do is going to link up your contact and that website in our uh, podcast show notes. Great. Thank you, Mike. Okay, April, well, thank you again. Uh, we appreciate everything you do for the elderly, uh, and we were glad to have you on our show today. We know you got a great presentation coming up tomorrow, and enjoy the rest of the week. Absolutely, Mike. We're signing off. I'm Mark Solomon. I'm Mike Carroll. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guests' opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.